نحمد و نصلی علی رسول الكریم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم رب اشرح لي صدری و یسر لي امری وحلل عقدتا من لسانی یفقه قولی ربنا زدنا علما بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم کتاب الحیض The Book of Menstruation The word حیض is a مصدر and it is from حاضا يحیض حیضا just like باع يبيع بیعا And the word حيض literally means سيلان, which is to flow, to stream. It is said حاض الوادي, when it overflows. حوض is a reservoir because water flows into it. So حيض literally is to flow, to stream. What is حيض? In the sharia, حيض is the natural blood. It is not something unusual, nor is it something that results from an unusual cause. It's natural blood that a woman bleeds in certain days, ayam ma'luma, certain days of the month. And this is after the age of puberty. Throughout the years of, you can say, fertility, until a woman is past childbearing age. And this is natural blood that flows from a certain place, which is the vagina. And it flows by itself and stops by itself without the woman having any control over it. Because hayl is to flow. So it flows by itself, stops by itself. A woman does not have any control over it. Medically, what is حيض? It is the periodic discharge of blood and mucosal tissue from the uterus and vagina. Now, inshallah, we'll be studying a lot of ahadith about حيض. Obviously, every woman experiences this, but what is it medically? What happens physically? What is happening biologically? Many women are unaware. So it is better that I'll just summarize to you what حيض is, even medically. Like what is going on in the body? What is causing that bleeding? This will actually help us understand the concept. It will help you understand the rulings of حيض as well. Because then the different kinds of bleeding, they become clear as well. As a girl reaches the age of puberty, we see that every month there is a gland, which is the pituitary gland, which releases hormones that stimulate the ovaries. And the ovaries, you know, are is a very small organ which contains thousands of eggs which have the potential of becoming a human being. So anyways, this gland uh, releases hormones that stimulate the ovaries, causing an egg in one of them to mature. The ovaries also produce hormones that cause the lining of the uterus to thicken. The cells multiply, which are in the lining of the uterus, and as they multiply, they fill up with watery fluids and blood, making the lining of the uterus very thick. Now the ovary eventually releases an egg, which passes through the fallopian tube and goes into the uterus. If the egg is fertilized, then what will happen? It will be implanted in the wall of the uterus which has become thickened. And basically a woman is pregnant. But if the egg is not fertilized, then what will happen? It will pass through the uterus and out of the vagina. Now the lining that has thickened, that is full of cells and watery fluids, it's not going to receive those hormones from the ovaries anymore. Meaning the process of thickening will stop. When it will stop, that means that the body does not need that anymore. So what will happen? That lining will break down and it will be discarded from the body. Now as it breaks down, as it is shed from the body, this is basically what the menstrual blood is. Which is why sometimes it is bloody and other times it is mucousy. Sometimes it is thick, other times it is not that thick. And the color varies as well. Why? Because it's basically the lining that is being shed and which takes a number of days for some women it's only 
two or three days. Other women, it's four or five days. For some women, it can be eight to ten days even. Because it depends on the thickness of the lining, the amount of it. So basically, once all of that is uh, released, it is discarded from the body, then what will happen? The menstruation will end. And we see that even the scholars of Islam, they have said about Hayd that, خَلَقَهُ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ حِكْمَةً لِغَذَاءِ الْوَلَدِ That Allah has created it for a purpose of what? As nutrition for the child if it develops in the womb. Because the uterine lining basically, it serves as nutrition for the egg that is implanted over there. And if it's not implanted, then what will happen? That nutrition is useless, so it will be discarded from the body. Now, there are different kinds of blood that are expelled from a woman's vagina. How many are there? There are three kinds. First of all is the haid. And what is the haid? It is the monthly flow, the periodic flow of blood and mucus. Secondly, nifas. What is nifas? It is postnatal bleeding. And this is regardless of whether the pregnancy was full term or partial. So it's basically the bleeding that happens after childbirth. Whether it was after full term pregnancy or somewhere in the middle, meaning the child was born alive or dead, it, regardless of that. But the bleeding that happens after childbirth, what is that? Nifas. And the maximum length of nifas is how much? 40 days. For hayd, it differs from woman to woman. But for nifas, we see that typically, or you can say the maximum length is 40 days. It cannot be beyond 40. It can be less, but not more than 40. Now remember that both hayd and nifas, what are they? Natural. Hayd comes every month and nifas is only after childbirth. The third kind of bleeding is which one? Istihaba. And has been termed as the facade blood as well because it creates a lot of difficulty for women sometimes. So basically any bleeding that is neither hayd nor nifas, then what is it? Istihab. If it's not period, if it's not nifas, then what is it? Istihab. And the rulings pertaining to these three kinds of blood are different. But remember that the rulings pertaining to hayd and nifas are more or less the same. Okay, the rulings pertaining to the first two, Hayd and Nifas, what are they? More or less the same. There are only about, you can say maximum five exceptions, okay, five differences. But otherwise, the rulings are the same. But when it comes to Istihada, the rulings are completely different. Different from Hayd and Nifas. In Hayd and Nifas, a woman does not pray. But in Istihada, she has to pray. In Hayd and Nifas, a woman will not fast. But in Istihada, she will. So the rulings of Istihada are different. And the causes of istihada, remember, are also many. The causes of hayd and nifas, they're clear. What is hayd the result of? The shedding of the uterine lining. And the cause of nifas is childbirth. But the cause of istihada, they are many. You know, it can be from stress and whatever. But basically we see the Prophet ﷺ, he indicated that it was caused by blood or vein-related instability. So basically, it's not the shedding of the uterine lining, but something else. وَقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى And the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْمَحِيضِ قُلْ هُوَ أَذَى إِلَىٰ قَوْلِهِ Until the statement, وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَهِرِينَ Meaning, until the end of the ayah. What is this ayah? This ayah is of Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah 222. In which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْمَحِيضِ And they ask you about mahid. Who? The Sahaba asked the Prophet ﷺ. There were many questions that they asked him and he would answer them. But some questions he would not answer himself. 
and he would remain silent about them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reveal the answer. So this is one of those questions, the answer Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave. So they ask about mahid. And mahid, grammatically, what is this? Either ism makan, meaning the noun of place, the name of a place. So it will refer to the place of haid, which is the vagina. Or it refers to ism zaman, which is the time of menstruation. Or thirdly, mahid is understood as the masdar, meaning the haid, the blood, the menstrual blood. So they asked about mahid, and it can be understood in any of these ways. And inshallah, the details you can learn in tafsir. If you're unsure about it, you can go revise. And those of you who haven't, I encourage that you, inshallah, study this in detail. The answer, Allah says, قُلْ هُوَ أَذَى Say that it is أَذَى Meaning, it is a slight hurt, harm. Remember that أَذَى is a slight hurt. It's not something extremely difficult. It's not a great injury or a great wound. But it is something that is slight. But at the same time, you cannot consider, you cannot completely dismiss it. So we see that hayd is something painful. Doesn't mean that a woman is sick, but definitely some difficulty. So it is other. And remember that it is other for the woman as well as for the man. For the woman it's understood. For the man, why? Because he is prohibited from taking pleasure from his wife the way he can otherwise. So what's the ruling? Allah says, فَاعْتَزِلُ النِّسَاءَ فِي الْمَحِيدِ So stay away from the women during menstruation. And mahid over here is understood as the place of hayd. Meaning, stay away from the vagina. Ibn Jawzi, he said, فَاعْتَزِلُ النِّسَاءَ فِي الْمَحِيدِ What this means is, اِعْتِزَالُ الْوَطَأِ فِي الْفَرَجِ Meaning, that a man should stay away from from fulfilling his sexual desire in the woman's private part. Meaning, he can fulfill his sexual desire with the woman through other means, but not in the private part. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ, he said, إِصْنَعُوا كُلَّ شَيْءٍ إِلَّا النِّكَاحِ Do everything except for the actual sexual intercourse. So based on this ayah, the scholars have said that other than the place of hayd, other than the place of hayd, meaning other than the vagina, it is permissible for a man to fulfill his sexual desire except for, first of all, the anus. So anal sex is something that is haram. It is clearly prohibited by various texts of the sunnah and there is no difference of opinion concerning this. Secondly, what else is prohibited? Oral sex according to the majority of the scholars. And just because it is not explicitly forbidden, it does not mean that it is permissible according to the majority of the scholars. What are the reasons? Because some say that it's not explicitly forbidden. So when it's not explicitly forbidden, then it will be considered permissible. But the majority of the scholars still disagree. They say that it is not permissible. Why? For two reasons. First of all, the mouth is a clean part of the body, which is to be used for the remembrance of Allah. It's to be used for the recitation of the Qur'an. And therefore, in the honor of the mouth, in respect of the mouth, it does not seem appropriate that there is a mouth and private part physical contact. Because we learn that in the honor of the right hand, okay, the right hand must not be used to wash the private part. Why? Because the right hand you eat with, right hand you do good things with, right hand the finger you raise in the tashahud. But the right hand, in honor of the right hand, you don't use it for washing of the private part. And in honor of the left hand, you don't touch the filth directly with it. What did we learn in wudu? 
that the best way of purifying yourself after using the washroom is that first istijmar, wipe off the filth. And secondly istinja, then use the hand to wash off. So imagine in honor of the, of the right hand, you don't use it to touch the private part. In honor of the left hand, you don't touch filth directly with it. Then the mouth deserves more respect and honor. Which is why even if it is said that, oh, it is not haram, but definitely, definitely it will be considered as something that is makruh for sure. Makruh. And secondly, the second reason why it is considered prohibited is because the excretions of the private part are considered impure and therefore swallowing something impure is something that is not correct. So, فَعْتَزِلُ النِّسَاءَ فِي الْمَحِيدِ Stay away from the women during mahid. What this means is, stay away from the vagina. Everything else is permissible except for for the two that are mentioned over here. And, فَعْتَزِلُ النِّسَاءَ فِي الْمَحِيدِ وَلَا تَقْرَبُوهُنَّ حَتَّى يَطْهُرْمْ Do not approach them until they have become pure. Meaning, do not have sexual intercourse with them until they have become pure. And what does that mean? That they're bleeding. Stops. فَإِذَا تَطَهَّرْنَ Then when they obtain purity, then فَأْتُوهُنَّ مِنْ حَيْثُ أَمْرَكُمُ اللَّهِ Then approach them from where Allah has commanded you. Now what does it mean by this? That do not have relations with them until they have become clean. When they have become clean, because the words are different. حَتَّى يَطْهُرْنَ And فَإِذَا تَطَهَّرْنَ The first one, حَتَّى يَطْهُرْنَ What does that indicate? That the bleeding stops. فَإِذَا تَطَهَّرْنَ What does that indicate? That they have taken a bath. Some scholars said that it just means that they wash themselves up, even if they haven't taken a bath. But we see that in the Qur'an, what do we learn? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُبًا فَاتَّهَّرُوا The command to purify yourself means not just wash up, but to take a bath. So فَإِذَا تَطَهَّرْنَ When they have cleaned themselves, does not just mean washing up, but it means... Taking the bath, taking the ghusl. So sexual relation can resume after the bleeding stops and the bath has been taken. And the bath has been taken. And then Allah says that approach them from where He has commanded. مِنْ حَيْثُ أَمْرَكُمُ اللَّهِ And what is that place? The place of fertility, the, the vagina and not the back. Because Allah loves those who Repent, meaning who leave sins, and he loves those who purify themselves from filth. Bab, كيف كان بدء الحيض? How menstruation started? How did this begin? Meaning, since when in the human history have women been menstruating? Is it something natural that has been going on from the very beginning? Or did it begin later as a consequential punishment on the women? وَقَوْلَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ And the statement of the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ هَذَا شَيْءٌ This is something, meaning the hayd, the period, is something that كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ That Allah has decreed عَلَى بَنَاتِ آدَمْ On the daughters of Adam. وَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ And some of them, meaning some people of the past, some scholars, they said, كَانَ أَوَّلُ The first ever مَا أُرْسِلَ الْحَيْضُ That Hayd was sent, meaning the first time that women ever menstruated was when ala Bani Israel on Bani Israel. This is what some scholars said that the first time ever women menstruated was were the women of Bani Israel. 
وحديث النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم but Imam Bukhari he says that the statement of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم it is أكثر it is more more in what? more in in authenticity in logic in evidences in strength it makes more sense that this is something that Allah has kataba on the daughters of Adam meaning this is something that is natural and remember that kataba kitaba is over here is qadari meaning that Allah has decreed it This is something that has always happened. The women of Bani Israel are the ones who were the first to menstruate and only they would be menstruating and not other women of the world. But we see that all women, regardless of which place they are from, they menstruate. It is said that when Hawa came to the world, that is when she menstruated. But again, just because she menstruated when she came to the world does not mean that it was a punishment on her. And the way that the Prophet ﷺ described menstruation. What did he say? This is something that Allah has decreed for the daughters of Adam. Meaning, this is not a punishment. This is something that is natural. This is a part of woman's body, a part of its chemistry, a part of its biology. This is something very natural. And the description, the medical description that I just gave you, it makes complete sense. This is something very natural. So, what do we learn from this? That hayd is not something that is evil in its nature. So a woman does not need to feel guilty about it. This is not something over which a woman should feel guilty. That, oh, I'm having my period now. So it is as if, you know, something evil has happened to her, or she has become sinful, or she has become dirty. No. We learned that the believer never becomes najis, never becomes impure. So even if she's menstruating, her body is clean. Her spirit, her soul, her nafs, inshallah, is clean. When it serves as nutrition for the baby that will grow in the uterus, if the egg is fertilized, then how can you consider it to be something that is evil? It's not something evil. Yes, it is najis, it is impure, but it doesn't mean that it is evil. Bab al-amri bin nufasai ida nufisna. Al-amr, the command, meaning the instructions, for who? An-nufasa. Nufasa, plural of nafisa, meaning the woman who is having nafas. When they are menstruating. Meaning, what are the rules, what are the instructions for women who are menstruating? Earlier we learned that this is something that is natural. Something that a woman should not feel guilty about. So what are the rules then? These rules we will learn about. Now, notice over here that the word nifas has been used for hayd. Inshallah, we will learn about the difference. But we see that the rulings of hayd and nifas are Very similar. And this is the reason why the word nifas is also used for hayd. The word nifas is also used for hayd. حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال حدثنا سفيان قال سمعت عبد الرحمن بن القاسم قال سمعت القاسم يقول سمعت عائشة تقول she said so Aisha رضي الله عنها she said that خرجنا We went out. لا نرى إلا الحج. We did not see except Hajj. Meaning the only reason why we left was to perform Hajj. That was our main, our only intention, our sole intention for the journey. فَلَمَّا كُنَّا Then when we were be Sarif at Sarif. Sarif is a place that is close to Makkah. So they were very close to Makkah. Imagine you're so close to Makkah, you're about to start the rituals. حِضُّ I began my حيض فدخل علي so he came upon me رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم meaning he came to me وأنا أبكي and I was crying 
قال he said مالكي what happened to you انفستي did you begin your period قلت نعم i said yes قال he said ان هذا indeed this is امر a matter كتبه الله that Allah has decreed على بنات آدم on the daughters of Adam meaning you don't have to feel guilty about it it's not your fault this is something very natural فقضي then perform fulfill اقضاء over here means to complete to perfect so complete ما يقضي الحاج what the pilgrims complete meaning perform all the rituals of hajj even in your hajj go to Mina go to Muzdalifa go to Arafa everything غير without Allah تطوفي بالبيت that do not do طواف of the house meaning do all the rituals of hajj except for the طواف of the Kaaba just don't do that wa and قالت she said wa and ضحها he slaughtered ضحها is from أضحية which is to slaughter so meaning the Prophet ﷺ sacrificed okay Rasulullah ﷺ عن نسائه on behalf of his wives بالبقر with a cow meaning at Hajj the Prophet ﷺ slaughtered a cow on behalf of his wives because when you go to Hajj you also have to offer sacrifice so in this hadith there are a number of things that we learn first of all we see the excellence of Aisha عنها, her great piety her desire for goodness her love of good deeds that on realizing she wouldn't be able to perform Hajj the way others are performing because she feared that she wouldn't be able to do anything at all she wept now again this is something natural this is something that's beyond your control you're not held responsible you're not sinful but still she wept why? Because, why? Because she wanted to do hajj. She wanted to do it just like others were doing. She didn't want to be deprived of what others were going to accomplish. Because the fact of the matter is that if a person does not do something good, then since he has not done it, he has missed out on a great opportunity. Even if there is a genuine reason behind it, even if the person is excused, Still, he has accumulated less good deeds. He has accumulated less good deeds, which others have gained. And remember the hadith in which we learned that once a man passed away, and the following year another man passed away. And a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, he saw both of them in his dream, and he saw that the latter one, the one who died later, he entered paradise before the other, before the first one. So when he asked the Prophet ﷺ, he said that of course, the one who died later performed salah for an entire year that the one who died before did not perform. So he has an extra year's worth of salah which the one who died before did not accumulate. So he entered paradise before. So even if a person is excused, even if there is a genuine reason for being left out, being deprived of something good, this is a loss. Which is why when, you know, some genuine reason a person is not able to do something good, then he should not excuse himself completely. He should not excuse himself completely. That okay, I'm not supposed to do it, so, you know, enjoy myself, don't do anything, don't bother to do anything. No. He or she should strive harder in other ways to do something else to make up for the opportunity that they're missing out on. Which is why we see that the companions who embraced Islam later, 
just because they could not participate in Badr, in Uhud. They could not support the Prophet ﷺ in the early years. What happened? Did they say, okay, we missed out on it, we weren't Muslims, so we're not held responsible? No. They made up for it through other ways. Which is why every battle that came, they fought. Every battle that came, they fought. To the point that some of them, when they were dying, not a part of their body was free of wounds. They were wounded everywhere. You know, Ikma bin Abi Jahal, Abu Sufyan, Khalid bin Walid, how did they fight in the later years against the, the apostates, against the false prophets? I mean, how, how much they did. They could have said, we don't have to. So what if we missed out on the reward earlier? No. So it's a very fine lesson, a very important lesson that we learn. And especially as women, you know, we go through several stages in life where our circumstances don't allow us to do what others are doing. So just because we are not able to do one thing, it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. No, you have to do something. You have to do something. Because remember, you are going to miss out on reward. Staying at home, you know, watching kids all day, cooking and cleaning throughout the week, is not the same as doing all those things along with doing extra good deeds. It's not the same. You may say that I have little children. I have work to do at home. Yes, understandable. But remember, it's not the same. You still have to do something. I'm not saying study full-time, work full-time. No, but something that your situation can allow you to do. Don't excuse yourself completely. And when you will have that yearning to do good, Allah will give you tawfiq, inshallah. Look at the way Aisha anha wept. She's crying. She's so sad. But it's unfortunate that women, if they ever go to Makkah and they begin their menstruation, then instead of sitting and reading something beneficial or doing dhikr, what are they doing? Shopping. Shopping or eating out or sleeping away. There are many other things that we can do. So we should not deprive ourselves of reward. Or making dua for the deceased. I mean, if you cannot go with the janazah, then at least you can make dua for the deceased, right? You can pray the salatul janazah. So do what you can do. Don't excuse yourself completely. You know, the nafs is very, you know, bad. Meaning if you give it some freedom, it will take more freedom. If you are easy with yourself, then you'll be more easy with yourself. Your nafs only desires convenience and ease. You have to be strict with yourself. If you allow yourself to fall, you will fall even more. So you have to be strict with yourself. And as women, this is something very, very important to remember. Secondly, we see in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ, he told Aisha anha to do everything that the rest of the hujjaj do. Meaning, all of the rituals of hajj will be performed in hayd except for tawaf. And some scholars said that since sari is to be performed after tawaf, sari will also not be done. It will be done only after tawaf. So when a woman becomes clean, then she will go to tawaf and then she will do sari. Whether it is, you know, in hajj, obviously umrah you cannot do, but uh, for hajj mainly. Now the question is, why can a woman not perform tawaf? What's the reason? Okay, it's uh, to be done in the house of Allah, but you know, the house of Allah is, is huge. And a woman who is to perform all the rituals of hajj, you know, she's with the caravan, with the people, then she might enter the masjid even. And we know that scholars have allowed it. Many scholars, and there are many evidences to prove that. What's the main reason, the actual reason why a woman is not allowed to tawaf? That tawaf is an act of worship for which you need wudu. The Prophet ﷺ, when he reached Makkah, 
he did wudu and then he went to do tawaf. Before performing tawaf of the Kaaba, he did wudu before. And you can say the tawaf is similar to salah in the sense that you need wudu for tawaf just like you need for salah. And for men, they have to cover both their shoulders for tawaf just as they have to for salah. You know that? Like for example at Umrah Hajj, when men are wearing the ihram, one of their shoulders is exposed. Correct? But in tawaf, they have to cover both the shoulders. And in salah, they have to cover both the shoulders. For sari, they don't have to. For arafah, they don't have to. For muzdalifah, they don't have to. But for tawaf, they have to. And a woman in her hayb, she cannot have wudu. You understand? This is the reason why she cannot perform the tawaf. But remember that if a woman has no option to stay in Makkah, and this is not just in today's time, but also before people had their return scheduled through ships or the caravan, the only caravan that has come all the way from where you have come, you miss that caravan, that means you'll be going alone, traveling alone through the desert, which is kind of unsafe and dangerous. So we see that back at the time of Sheikh Rusam ibn Taymiyyah, he gave a fatwa and, and he discussed several points which prove that a woman may even do tawaf in her hayd if her circumstances do not allow her to stay in Makkah. Because if she goes without performing tawaf, then her hajj is invalid. Invalid completely. And hajj is something that's not easily affordable. Not just today, but even back then. So if a woman has no option, she cannot stay at all. And it doesn't seem possible that she will return. Like financially, she doesn't think it's going to be possible. Or realistically, given her situation in her life, she may be old, it may not seem possible. Then in that situation, we see that scholars did make an exception. And the discussion I'm not going to go into over here, but I'm just telling you for your knowledge. Okay, that if you hear something like this and it's mentioned somewhere, then you'll be open to it. Thirdly, we see in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ slaughtered a cow on behalf of his wife. So we see that slaughtering a cow is also permissible. Okay, it is also Musnoon, you can say, because uh, sometimes we think that only has to be a sheep or only has to be a camel. No, you can also do a cow. And a cow, how many shares does it have? Seven. So, why did Imam Bukhari mention this hadith? To prove that a woman in menstruation will do everything that she normally does. Because what's the bab? Al-amr bin nufasai ida nufisna. So what's the hadith proving? That a woman will do everything that she normally does except for those things that have been prohibited. The Prophet ﷺ said, do all the rituals of hajj except for tawaf. So a woman who is menstruating will do everything that she normally does except for those things which are forbidden. And this means that with regards to the matters of, you can say ibadah even, she will do everything that she does but except for those that are Prohibited. Likewise, when it comes to day-to-day matters, she will do everything that she does, her routine things, except for those that are prohibited. When it comes to intimacy, she can do everything except for that which is prohibited. When it comes to visiting places, touching things, she can do everything except for that which is prohibited. So this is the general rule about hayd. Everything permissible except for that which is prohibited. باب غسل الحائض رأس زوجها وترجيله غسل washing الحائض of the uh, menstruating woman washing what رأس the head of زوجها her husband 
وَتَرْجِيلِهِ and combing his hair. Meaning, a menstruating woman may wash the hair, the head of her husband and she may even comb it. There is absolutely no harm in this. So basically we see that this is a clarification of فَعْتَزِلُ النِّسَاءَ فِي الْمَحِيضِ That stay away from the women during menstruation. To what extent? Does it mean that a man and woman cannot even touch one another? Does it mean that a woman cannot do the routine daily things that she does for her husband? She can. This is permissible. Everything is permissible except for that which is prohibited. What's the evidence? حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال حدثنا مالك عن هشام بن عروة عن أبيه عن عائشة قالت she said كنت I used to أرجل I would comb رأس رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم the head of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم وأنا حائض while I would be menstruating. So even though she was menstruating, she would she would comb his hair, she would touch his head. Why? Because her body is not impure. إن المؤمن لا ينجس. حدثنا إبراهيم بن موسى قال أخبرنا هشام بن يوسف أن ابن جريج أخبرهم. قال he said أخبرني هشام. He said that Hisham informed me عن عروة أنه سئل that he was asked أتخدمني كان تخدمني she serve me who الحائض the menstruating woman so someone asked who عروة عروة عن عروة أنه سئل okay so عروة is narrating to Hisham that he was asked that عروة was asked once that Meaning someone asked him that can a menstruating woman serve me? أَوْتَدْنُوا minni Or draw close to me? Can she be near me? Can she be in the same space? Can she serve me? And in serving me that means she will touch me. She will bring me food. She will touch my clothes. She will iron my clothes. She will wash my clothes. Can she do that? أَوْتَدْنُوا minni الْمَرْأَةُ Or can a woman draw close to me? وَهِيَ junub While she is in the state of Janaba. So he asked about two things. A menstruating woman? And the woman in the state of Janaba. Can she serve me? Can she draw close to me? فَقَالَ عُرْوَةُ So Urwa replied, كُلُّ ذَلِكَ All of this is عَلَيَّ on me. هَيِّن Very simple. Meaning, this is not something that bothers me. This is something that's very simple for me. What does هَيِّن mean? Very light. Meaning, this is not something, this is not a big deal. All of this is not a big deal at all. وَكُلُّ ذَلِكَ And all of that, meaning a menstruating woman as well as a, a woman in the state of Janaba. تَخْدُمُنِي May serve me. وَلَيْسَ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ فِي ذَلِكَ بَأْسٌ And there is not on anyone concerning this matter any harm. Meaning there is no restriction on any person in this matter. Meaning whether the man is fasting or he is in ihram or he is at home, it's in the middle of the night, during the day, it doesn't matter. A menstruating woman or the woman in the state of Janaba can touch him, obviously has to be mahram. Akhbaratni, and he mentioned as evidence that she informed me. Who informed me? Aishatu. That annaha kanat, that she used to, turajilu, she would comb, ta'ni, she meant, ra'sa rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the head of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And she would comb, wahiya, while she was ha'idun, menstruating. وَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى at that time مُجَاوِرٌ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ مُجَاوِر One staying in the masjid meaning he would be in irtikaf He would be in irtikaf and Aisha anha would comb his hair How? يُدْنِي لَهَا He would lower for her 
رَأْسَهُ his head وَهِيَ while she would be فِي حُجْرَتِهَا in her apartment. Because you know that the apartments were directly connected with the masjid. You can say the doors open to the masjid. So the Prophet ﷺ would be doing irtikaf in the masjid and because in irtikaf people should not go to their homes and the Prophet ﷺ wanted his hair combed, his wife would be at home. So what would he do? He would just lie down, lower his head into the house, into the apartment and Aisha anha would comb his hair, make his hair. يُدْنِي لَهَا رَأْسَهُ وَهِيَ فِي حُجْرَتِهَا فَتُرَجِّلُهُ And then she would comb it وَهِيَ حَائِضُ While she would be menstruating. So we see that it doesn't matter what state the man is in. He could be in irtikaf, he could be fasting, he could be at hajj. A menstruating woman can touch him, can serve him, can comb his hair. The hadith shows other lessons too. We see that a husband and wife can have physical contact while a woman is menstruating. So, فَعْتَزِلُ does not mean stay away completely because we see that the Yahud at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they would completely stay away from the menstruating women. There was complete you know, separation. But we see that this was something not practiced by the Prophet ﷺ. Rather, physical contact is something permissible, very natural, needed, and it may happen even when the woman is menstruating. Secondly, we see the close relationship that existed between the Prophet ﷺ and his wife, Aisha That she is combing his hair. She washed his hair, she combed his hair, and we have learned earlier that she would also put perfume on him, on his head, on his body. She would wash his clothes even. So we see that this is something that brings the spouses closer. And we also see that a wife can serve her husband and what is Conventional, what is culturally accepted. I mean, this is something that may not be practiced today, but if it is something, you know, normal in other cultures, there's absolutely no harm in this. One more thing we learn over here is the importance of combing the hair. That it is necessary that a person regularly washes their hair, combs their hair, you know, puts fragrance as well. That's something that the Prophet ﷺ did. And also parting the hair, the Prophet ﷺ also parted the hair from the middle of the head. And when a person has thick hair, then he should pay more attention. And if a person is not able to do it himself, then he should seek help. He or she should seek help. So if you're unable to keep your hair in a, in a good condition yourself on a regular basis, then definitely you should go for you know, a wash and cut and whatever. Uh, you should do that. And this is something that the Prophet ﷺ did. He had his wife make his hair for him. So you can also... Have someone else make your hair for you if you're not able to do it yourself. Because, you know, it's good for the hair. You have to take care of the body. And then we see that it has an effect on you, on how you perceive yourself. It can boost your confidence. It, it can make you feel good about yourself. So it is necessary to take care of your hair too. Because, you know, unfortunately this feeling, it exists uh, within Muslims that during menstruation, stay away completely. You know, because it's either sexual intercourse or nothing. And nothing means not even touching, not even, you know, uh, being a little romantic, nothing at all. Uh, but we see that the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ proves otherwise. That there has to be such a relationship so that the husband and wife stay close together. There is closeness between the two. They don't grow apart from one another. Bab qira'ati rajuli fi hajrim ra'atihi wahiya ha'id. Qira'a, recitation. Meaning, obviously, recitation of the Qur'an. 
by who? By a rajul, by a man. Where? Fi hajrim ra'atihi. In the lap of his wife. Wahiya ha'ilt, while she is menstruating. Meaning, a woman is menstruating, and her husband has his head in her lap, and while they're talking, then he ends up reciting some Qur'an. Is that permissible? Yes, this is permissible. Now we see that someone who is engaged in the recitation of the Qur'an, meaning they're actually reciting, they should not touch something that is impure at the same time. Why? Because their mouth is engaged in the act of worship. So they should not be touching something that is unclean. So if it is permissible for a man to have his head in the lap of a woman who is menstruating while reciting the Qur'an, that means that the body of the menstruating woman is clean. وَكَانَ أَبُوْ وَائِلٍ And Abu Wa'il, he is a tabiri, the companion of Ibn Mas'ud anhu, famous tabiri. He used to, يُرْسِلُ He would send خَادِمَهُ His servant وَهِيَ حَائِضٍ And the word khadim applies to male and female. So he would send her while she would be menstruating إِلَى أَبِي رَزِينٍ to Abu Razin, who was also a tabiri. فَتَأْتِيهِ Then she would come back to him بِالْمُصْحَفِ with the mushaf. فَتُمْسِكُهُ And she would be holding it بِعِلَاقَتِهِ by its strap. عِلَاقَ is the strap with which it was bound, meaning the sheets, the pages were held together. So he would send her to a friend of his and she would return with the mushaf, holding it by its strap because at that time there was no book. Okay, you can imagine sheets or parchments that were big and that were bound together. You know, the kind of mushafs that we enjoy, it's really a luxury. And imagine, he had to send a servant somewhere else to bring a mushaf. Why? He didn't have a copy himself. How many do we have? And how much do we read? We have more than we can take care of. But how much do we read? So anyway, we see over here that the servant girl would be menstruating and she would bring the mushaf, holding it by its strap. So this proves that it is permissible for a woman who is menstruating to carry the Qur'an. Now some scholars, they allowed only carrying the Qur'an. So that means like if you have to put it from one place to the other, you have to take it from one place to the other. And not touching. So they differentiated between hamul and mas. Hamal is to carry from one place to the other. Mas is that you are holding it, you are opening it, you are reading it, you are studying it, you are reflecting on it by holding it. So some differentiated between hamal and mas. Some said hamal is permissible, mas is not. Others said there is no difference. If you can carry it, you can touch it. Because you, when you are carrying it, you are touching it. Some scholars allowed only the touching of the cover or the strap and others extended the permission to the touching of the text even based on the same principle that the body is not unclean. So when the body is not unclean, if you can touch the strap, you can touch the rest. Because if the body was unclean, then nothing of it should be permissible. حَدَّثَنَا أَبُو نُعَيْمٍ الْفَضْلُ بْنُ دُكَيْنٍ سَمِعَ زُهَيْرًا عَنْ مَنْصُورٍ ابْنِ صَفِيَّةَ أَنَّ أُمَّهُ حَدَّثَتْهُ أَنَّ عَائِشَةَ حَدَّثَتْهَا أَنَّ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَانَ يَتَّكِئُ That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم He would recline في حجري in my lap وأنا حائض And I would be menstruating at that time Who's narrating this? عَيْشَ رَضِ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا ثُمَّ يَقْرَأُ الْقُرْآنَ And then he would recite the Qur'an So when a person is reciting the Qur'an He can touch a menstruating woman 
Even when a person is praying salah, his clothes can actually touch a menstruating woman. There are hadiths that tell us that Aisha anha, she narrates that the Prophet ﷺ would be praying in the night and she would be lying down. And you know the hujra was small. So she would be lying down and when he would go to sujood or something, then his clothes would actually touch her. So there's absolutely no harm in touching a menstruating woman. And there's also another lesson that we learn here, which is that the Prophet ﷺ would recite Qur'an while his head would be in his wife's lap. Because uh, the one who remembers Allah, remembers Allah in every state. He doesn't forget Allah anywhere. So just because we are, you know, with the family or, you know, with someone or we're having some fun, doesn't mean that we cannot remember Allah there. We can. And in fact, it's good. And it just shows how relaxed they were. And we see that he was lying down. He would be lying down. Obviously, if you have to put your head in someone's lap, you are in a reclining position. And even in that position, he is reciting the Qur'an. And, you know, that feeling of guilt and that I'm sinful and I'm dirty and I am wrong and I'm a woman, you know, Negative feelings that come into the heart. So we see that when this permission is there, you know, a man may touch his menstruating wife, he may put his head in her lap. It just shows that it's very normal. The deen is very easy. It's very simple. It's practical. That negative thoughts at a time when a woman is already going through emotional imbalance is something that's very, you know, bad for her. So we see that when she can maintain physical contact with her husband, you know, when she can be close to her husband, do her normal things, then she can stay positive. That when you're down emotionally, then listening to the Qur'an, you know, sitting next to someone who's reciting the Qur'an, being so close, imagine what a positive impact it would have on a person. Even I've seen, there's a place in Pakistan, Chitral, it's towards the north, and close to that is an area, Kalash, where people, they actually have a different religion even. And they have separate houses that are made for women who are menstruating. Their children are actually outside. The doors are closed. Their children are outside. I saw with my own eyes. They're outside the house, little babies. Some of them are sitting on the floor. They're crying. They're just looking through the, you know, through the cracks or through the space between the door and the wall. And they're just outside. They're not allowed in. And the women are just inside. But little children, they were outside. I didn't see any infants, but I did see like two, three-year-old kids, five-year-old kids and... Life is a sin. One more thing we see in this hadith is that the Prophet ﷺ was romantic with his wife. I mean, the word, you might not like it, but it is a true description of how he was with his wives. That putting your head in the lap of the wife is something that a very loving husband can do. A husband who expresses his love, his admiration of the wife the level of comfort that he has with his wife. And there's nothing wrong in this. In fact, there's something that's very healthy for a good relationship. And it's something that is encouraged. It grows the love and attraction that exists between the husband and the wife. So this is something that the husband should do as well as the wife should do. The one who summa he named, meaning he called a nifas, the nifas haydan, meaning he used the word nifas for menstruation. And vice versa, who used the word hayd for nifas. Meaning both these terms are interchangeable. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he asked Aisha anufisti for, did you begin your hayd? He used the word nifas. And what's the reason behind this? 
The reason is that Hayd and Nifas are similar in the sense that the rulings are almost identical with the exception of only five rulings that differ. What are they? Would you like to know? First of all, I just thought, you know, if you don't want to know the details, then I can skip it. First of all, the difference is that if Nifas returns within 40 days, meaning a woman gives birth and then she is bleeding, before 40 days end, her bleeding stops. So let's say after 20 days, her bleeding stops, which happens. Her bleeding stops, she's clean for five days, and then her bleeding starts again. Now this bleeding, it could be nifas, it could be istihada. Okay, it is mashkuk. And how will a woman decide what it is? Based on the characteristics and the nature. It could be nifas, it could be istihada. Meaning just because it returns within the 40 day period does not mean that it is nifas. Whereas hayd on the other hand, if it returns within the period, then it is considered as hayd. So for example, a woman regularly menstruates for 8 days. One month she started her period, she bled for 4 days, and then she was clean. No sign of any blood whatsoever. Then what is she supposed to do? Take a bath? She took a bath, and after one day, she starts bleeding again. It's within the 8 days. Those 8 days are not over. So she starts bleeding again. When she will start bleeding again, that will be considered as hayd and not istihada. As an example, that she regularly has her period for eight days. She bled for four days once, became clean completely, took a bath, started praying. After one day, she started bleeding again. Now on the sixth day, from when her period started, she's bleeding again. That bleeding will be considered as hayd, not istihada. Okay? But nifas, what's the difference? That if it comes back within the 40 days, then it's not necessary that it's nifas. It could also be istihada. You have to check the characteristics of the blood. Secondly, another difference is in the case of ila'. What is ila'? When a man swears an oath that he will stay away from his wife. لِلَّذِينَ يُؤْلُونَ مِن نِسَائِهِمْ What's the waiting period? Four months. Okay. Now, if a woman menstruates in those four months... Typically, how many times will she menstruate? Four times. Now, those days of her menstruation are counted within the waiting period. But, if she has nifas, let's say after one month of the waiting period, she delivers her baby. And now she's going to have nifas for, let's say, 40 days. Those 40 days are not counted as part of the four-month waiting period. Okay? They will be excluded. Meaning she will have her nifas, let's say 36 days. And then the waiting period will resume. After those four months are over, so basically we see that, and then from that point onwards she has to complete the 40 days. Okay, from when her nifas ends, she has to resume counting the four months. So her waiting period from the day that her husband swore an oath could be four months and 40 days. Four months and 36 days, four months and 24 days, depending on how long the break was. Okay, so the nifas days are like a break in the middle. But hayd days are a part of the waiting period. Nifas is like a break in the middle, it's like a gap in the middle. But hayd is part of the waiting period. This is in the case of what? In the case of ila. So there's a difference between how hayd will be treated and how 
nifas will be treated. The third case is an iddah. There is a difference in how nifas is treated, iddah of divorce. How nifas is treated and how haid is treated. We see that if a woman begins her haid in her iddah, her iddah will continue. Right? Because how much is it? Salasat quru. But if she starts her nifas, if she gives birth, then her iddah has finished. Even if she starts her nifas after one day of the husband pronouncing divorce. You understand? There is a difference between how haid is treated and nifas is treated. In the idda after divorce, if she starts haid, it's part of the idda. If she starts nifas, idda finished. The fourth case is that when a woman is having her nifas, it is permissible to give divorce to her. During nifas, it is allowed for the husband to give her divorce. But during haid, it is not permissible for him to give divorce. So in nifas, a woman can receive divorce. In haid, she should not be given divorce. This is the difference. A fifth difference, which is according to some scholars, not majority, but some scholars, is that a haid does not do tawaf. But in nafisa may do tawaf. Because the Prophet ﷺ forbade her from doing tawaf. Aisha anha. When she was having her period. But he did not forbid the woman who is having nifas to, from doing tawaf. He did not forbid her. So according to some scholars, a woman who is in the state of nifas may do tawaf of the house. But other scholars disagree. So we see that four differences are definitely there. The fifth is disputed. But otherwise, all the rulings, okay, are identical. Meaning you will not pray, you will not fast, you will make up the fasts, but you will not make up the prayers. Likewise, a woman cannot have sexual intercourse in her hayd, in her nifas. All the rulings are the same. How the blood is to be treated in the sense that it is najis. The blood of nifas and the blood of hayd, both are najis. So, the rest of the rulings are identical. There is only a few exceptions. And this is the reason why the word nifas is used for hayd and nifas and the word hayd is used for both hayd and nifas. These terms are interchangeable. Alright? They are interchangeable. حدثنا المكي بن إبراهيم قال حدثنا هشام عن يحيى بن أبي كثير عن أبي سلمة أن زينب نتا أم سلمة حدثته أن أم سلمة حدثتها قالت بين أنا مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Who's narrating this? Um Salama, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ. She said that, Baina, while I was with the Prophet ﷺ, lying down, fi khamisatin, in a khamisa. What is khamisa? It is a square-shaped blanket, you can say. Black in color, and it's made of wool. So a blanket. They were in a blanket. The Prophet ﷺ said, Ta'isa Abdul Khamisa. Ta'isa Abdul Khamisa, meaning destroyed is the slave of the Khamisa, meaning the one who is greedy for quilts and duvets and blankets and linens. Ta'isa, Abd, the slave of, meaning the only desire is to get as many linens and duvet covers and blankets as possible. And worrying about, you know, this one has faded and this one has been destroyed. And this one needs to be ironed, and this one, you know, the kid, you know, the child threw food on it. It's been a year, I need a change. And shopping for hours and hours. 
So anyway, something that we women need to reflect on. So this is what the word khamisa means. So they were in a khamisa idhittu when I began my menstruation. So she was lying down with the Prophet ﷺ under the covers and she she realized that she started her period. فَانْسَلَلْتُ So I slipped, meaning I went quietly without disturbing the Prophet ﷺ, without making a big deal. فَأَخَذْتُ And then I took ثِيَابَ حِيضَتِي The clothes for my حِيض meaning the pad. قَالَ He said, أَنُفِسْتِ Did you start your period? قُلْتُ نَعَمْ I said yes. فَدَعَانِي So he called me. فَاتَّجَعْتُ مَعْهُ Then I lied down with him again. فِي الْخَمِيلَ In the khamila. Now the word khamila has been used. Okay, first khamisa and then khamila. Khamila is also a blanket, which is of a rough surface. Okay, meaning it's not that soft and plush. It's it's rough. You know, you can feel the fibers. So though it's similar. This is why the word is interchangeable. And just like that, hayl and nifas are similar. This is why the word is interchangeable. The Prophet ﷺ asked anufisti. Did you start nifas? But whereas in reality she had started hayl. So both words are used interchangeably. There's no harm in that. Bab mubasharatil hayl. Fondling a menstruating woman. What is mubashara? Mubashara is masul bashara bil bashara. What is bashara? The human skin. So masul bashara bil bashara. The touching of the human skin with the other person's skin. So it is basically to have physical contact. To lovingly caress or stroke one another. And this includes kissing and touching and so on and so forth. So is this permissible with a woman who is menstruating? Definitely it is. حدثنا قبيصة قال حدثنا سفيان عن منصور عن إبراهيم عن الأسود عن عائشة قالت she said كنت أغتسل I used to take a bath أنا والنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم I and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم من إناء واحد from the same vessel كلانا جنوب both of us would be in the state of جنابة وكان يأمرني and he would order me فأتزر and I would wrap my waist wrapper it's from the word إزار what is إزار the the lower garment the one that is worn around the waist. So she said, he would tell me to wear it, and I would put that on. فَيُبَاشِرُنِي And he would fondle me, meaning we would have physical contact. وَأَنَحَائِضْ And I would be menstruating. وَكَانَ يُخْرِجُ رَأْسَهُ And he would take out his head, إِلَيَّ to me, وَهُوَ مُعْتَكِفٌ While he would be in irtikaf. فَأَغْسِلُهُ And then I would wash it. وَأَنَحَائِضْ While I would be menstruating. Meaning in the state of menstruation, he would have physical contact with me and I would even wash his head and comb his hair. So this is something that is permissible to do with a menstruating woman. Another hadith, حدثنا إسماعيل بن خليل قال أخبرنا علي بن مسهر قال أخبرنا أبو إسحاق هو الشيباني عن عبد الرحمن بن الأسود عن أبيه عن عائشة قالت she said كانت إحدانا one of us would إذا كانت when she would be حائضا menstruating فأراد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أن يباشرها and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would intend to have a physical contact with her meaning fondle her then أمرها he would order her أن تتزر that she would put on her waist wrapper في فور حيضتها in the midst of her menstruation فور means rush in haste ويأتوكم من فورهم هذا that the enemy comes to you in their haste you know, in the rush immediately coming to attack you, you know, in war. We have read this in the Quran. So, fawri haydatiha means in the middle of the menstruation, meaning when the, the blood flow is, is on its high, is on its peak. At the beginning, for some women, it's very limited. Towards the end again, it fades. But in the middle, it is at its peak. So, 
she would be in the midst of her menstruation and summa yubashiruha, meaning the bleeding would be quite a lot, but still he would fondle her, summa yubashiruha. Qalat, she said, wa ayyukum, and which of you yamliku, he possesses, meaning he has power over irbahu, his desire, kama kan nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would yamliku irbahu, he would have control over his desire. Taba'uhu khalidun wa jarirun an shaybani, meaning, she said that none of you can control their desire the way the Prophet ﷺ would. There are a number of things that we learn over here. First of all, we see that fondling a menstruating woman is perfectly fine regardless of what stage of period it is. Meaning it could be the beginning, it could be the middle, it could be the end, any stage, it doesn't matter. The only condition is that the area of menstruation is beyond access, meaning it is covered. Because this is what the Prophet ﷺ told his wives, that they should wear the waist wrapper in order to cover that area. Why? What's the reason? There are a number of benefits. First of all, the blood does not spread. Secondly, the blood is not seen by the husband. Because if it is seen, then it will lead to karaha, like dislike. He will be repulsed. This is not something that's natural. And while he is you know, engaged in fondling her, it's not something you know, that he would want to see. And this teaches us a lesson that a person should avoid seeing and learning about the faults of others. You know, keep your eyes away from any place where you think you might end up seeing someone's aura or someone's fault or someone's deficiency. You know, Allah says in the Quran, لا تجسسوا. So we should avoid looking at such places, such things, by which other people's faults may be exposed to us. So don't think too much. Keep your eye away. Turn your eye away. And the third benefit of covering is that having sexual intercourse is prevented. And we see that if the man is strong in desire and strength and is weak in controlling his desire, then he should avoid such contact. Okay? Which is why Aisha anha she said that which of you is as strong as him in controlling their desire? Meaning, when the Prophet ﷺ fondled his wives, it didn't mean that it led to sexual intercourse. He was able to control himself. But if a person feels that he is not able to control, then he should avoid it. حدثنا أبو النعماني قال حدثنا عبد الواحد قال حدثنا الشيباني قال حدثنا عبد الله بن شداد قال سمعت ميمونة كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أراد أن يباشر امرأة ميمونة رضي الله عنها she narrated that when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم intended to fondle امرأة a woman من نسائه from his wives أمرها he would order her فاتزرت then she would wear her waist wrapper وهي حائض while she would be menstruating ورواه سفيان عن الشيباني so again, this hadith proves the same thing, that this is something permissible, and it is something that should not be considered wrong, meaning husband and wife may engage in this. Because like it was discussed earlier, that during menstruation or during nifas, husband and wife grow apart from one another. And this leads to problems in their relationship even. Because what keeps both them together, close to one another, understanding of each other, is the physical relationship that they have. So just because sexual intercourse is not permissible, it does not mean that both should completely avoid one another. This is something that is not natural, it is not healthy for a relationship. On the same topic, there is a fatwa, Sheikh Salih al-Munajjid, uh, he responded to the question that is masturbation haram between man and wife, meaning if a husband and wife do it for one another. He replied, it is not Haram, rather it is permissible because it is a part of the enjoyment which Allah has allowed. Allah says in the Quran, those who guard their chastity except from their wives or from what their right hands possess. For them, they are free from blame. So even if it leads up to this, meaning a husband and wife, they are engaged in 
in fondling one another to the extent that one releases money, meaning ejaculates, then is that wrong? It is not wrong. It is something that is permissible. Okay, meaning such foreplay can even lead to ejaculation, meaning a person can even become junub. And there is nothing sinful about this. As long as فَعْتَزِلُ النِّسَاءَ فِي الْمَحِيلِ As long as a vagina is avoided. Like we discussed earlier. Sorry for being so explicit. I know this is very uncomfortable material, but this is the deen, and this is something that's important for us to know. Subhanak Allahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.